Hello and welcome to episode 48 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark, and coming up on today's episode, we're getting back into the movies. So we've had a break, we've done some bands, we've done some podcasters now, but now it's back to movies. So on today's episode, I'm joined by the up-and-coming actor Brad Moore. Now, you know the format by now, instead of getting straight into the interview, I want to touch base about the last episode. So as I just said, I had my first full-time, basically, podcast to join me. And it was a bit of a risky one when I was recording it, because I felt to myself, it's a very different style interview. Um, I'm putting something out there that is so honest. We both let our guards down to a new level, and it was probably one of the most honest interviews I've ever done. So I was joined by Matt Stocks from the Life in the Stocks podcast, and... When I put it out and published it, you know, we both had a listen and we agreed that, you know, we wanted it to go out as raw and as honest as we could. We didn't want to polish it and take bits out. We wanted it to be very personal. And it was that kind of feeling of, is this going to be putting off people? Because it's very, very different to some of the guests I've had previously who will be press trained and will answer the certain questions in a certain style. But Matt came and just was himself. And, you know... It felt at times like a bit like a counselling session. It was it was completely different to any style of interview I'd done. And again, it was a long interview. We're getting on for about an hour and 45 minutes. And the response to this episode has been absolutely insane. I've had more people email me and tweet me and Facebook me about this interview than when I interviewed people like Anthony Hopkins and Mads Mikkelsen and, you know, Kevin Smith. People absolutely loved the honesty. They loved the fact that we were two people just talking and kind of not putting on a show. We just were ourselves. And it's been phenomenal reading all these messages. And there's people that can say they relate and they love the fact that we're talking about these feelings and depression. And it's made me want to do a lot more of this style interview. Um... All I can say is there's going to be more. Um, I spoke to Matt and we are going to record again early next year. But in the meantime, what I do want to do is keep delivering as much content to you guys as I can. So as I said just a moment ago, I'm joined by Brad Moore. Now, Brad Moore is a British actor that's only launched his career at the age of 40. And he's already making a good name for himself in the business. And the way this came about was is I recently watched a film called Gloves Off. And it's a really heartfelt comedy and drama but done very very well and he plays Doug in this film and the moment I was watching this film I kind of thought to myself this guy's awesome I want to know more about him and I want to do everything I can to get him on this podcast so I'm absolutely thrilled that he's here today the good thing I like about this podcast is I get to choose my own guests it's my podcast so I don't get told who to interview and as much as I enjoy interviewing the huge names and people go crazy for these big guests, I get just as much from talking to the up-and-comers. So, you know, when I've had Tom Payton on before and Dominic Burns and people like this, people go then and check out their work and it introduces them to them. And that's what I want from this interview with Brad Moore today. So I'm, I'm so thrilled he's here. And what I want to do now is get to the interview. So here's me and Brad Moore. And I really hope you all enjoy. All right, Brad, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. What pleasure. I just wanted to start off by, for the listeners out there that have just been introduced to you, at what age was it you wanted to be an actor? Was it quite young or a bit later on in life? It's quite a long story. I'll try and keep it um, as concise as possible. <laughs> but um, I, I'm a bit nuts. I started acting at 40, um, which is, you know, uh, not the norm. 
but basically, I, I used to live next door to an actress called Pauline Quirk, um, and she's famous for Birds of a Feather and a few um, sitcoms and whatnot. And um, we lived in uh, Stamford Hill in um, North London, and I was friends with a younger brother, Sean, and she used to come back from drama school. I think she was at Anna Schur, and she used to come back and want to continue um, with her drama games and role plays. So literally, it was like an old-fashioned sort of backstreet kids thing with all of us out on this cobbled uh, road uh, in the middle of Stamford, uh, Stamford Hill doing drama games. And I think I, I never, you know, she would direct. I think I never lost the, the feeling or the buzz you get from performing um, as early as that. But I was from a very working-class family, um, you know, quite a tough, kind of, uh, quite machismo uh, on the male side of the family, and uh, we didn't have any art artistic background. So I didn't really do anything for years and years, but deep down I kind of always knew I was going to act. Um, I just tried to make some money first, really. <laughs> and then uh, approaching 40, um, you know, you get this thing, um, midlife thing, and uh, you feel like you're running out of time. So I knew if I didn't do it uh, now, uh, as I approached 40, I'd, n I'd never do it. Um, so... So I just uh, threw caution to the wind and got stuck in. I mean, you don't need to take too much uh, worry because people like Mads Mikkelsen didn't act until they were in their late 30s and 40s and now they're just starting to really become themselves. So you haven't got too much to worry about. Yeah, well, you hear that with a lot of people. Um, you know, uh, Morgan Freeman, Harrison Ford, uh, Gerard Butler. But if you if you investigate it thoroughly, they've normally been to drama school. Yeah. Um, I, I did a film with Lars. Uh, Mickelson, Matt's brother, we did a film together called Montana, uh, which he was the lead and I was kind of probably number three or four starring role. And um, they, they both have been around performing and acting since they could walk. So, you know, even though they don't crack it till late or don't, don't do it fully and professionally till late, like M Morgan Freeman, you normally find that they try to be a lawyer or they try to do this, that and the other and went back to, to drama. I'm one of the few nutters that actually starts at 40. <laughs> it was a bit of a wrench, really. I mean, as I say, I was kind of suppressing it, if you like, and, I, and, and everything else was my my stage, my surrogate stage, like the pub or, you know, the classroom. Um, I would look for areas to perform um, in, you know, in the, in the sort of non-conventional way um, because I was just a frustrated performer, I guess. Um, and then what I did is I was quite crafty. I did stand-up comedy first. So I did two years of stand-up up and down the country, which is kind of a working man's art form, if you like, and that was less of a shock to my brother and my uh, my family, my mother, um, when I said, you know, I quit my job and said I'm going to be a stand-up. Um, they're still pretty freaked out by it, I have to say, but um, it's it, uh, slightly less of a shock than if I said, you know, I'm just going to go straight forward and tread the boards. So what was it that made you want to be a stand-up comedian? Because that, that takes a lot of confidence to write material, get out there and put yourself pretty much on a stick in front of the whole world. Yeah, it's crazy stand-up. Um, I mean, you have to be a bit of a lunatic to want to do it, you know. Um, and for me, really, I'd, I'd always loved film. I'd, I'd adored and sort of worshipped film all my life. My friends and I also completely utterly worshipped stand-up. You know, we were in awe of um, Eddie Murphy, um, you know, uh, Richard Pryor, Bill Hicks, all these great, wonderful stand-ups in the 70s and 80s. So it just kind of felt like the right thing to do at first. I always knew it, it would lead to acting, but it was a nice, it was a nice way in. And um, to announce that you're an actor, in a way, 
if you've not been at drama school or not been around an acting family um, or an artistic family, is is quite a. Um, it's not in the paradigm of the family. Do you know what I mean? Whereas stand up is a little more working class and a little more acceptable. So rather than oh, I'm going to be a thespian, it's like oh, I'm going to go and try and be funny. And uh, and I, I guess that sort of uh, gained a little more. Um, respect or it made, just made a little bit more sense I think to my family and I did that and what, what actually what was wonderful about that was stand up so tough that when it came to acting acting was easy compared to the stand up if you know what I mean. You, you kind of took that jump and that risk at 40 and you've probably been holding off on that for quite a while but you kind of thought to yourself if I don't do it now I never will. Did you find it quite difficult or a bit kind of daunting going out and then you know trying to get roles and stuff knowing that other people might have 20 years on you yeah i mean it's such a tough business anyway so what helped was that the you know with a stand-up you throw your soul up in the air every night and you ask a hundred strangers to judge it right and if it goes well and you you know you nail it and you make everyone laugh then you, you, your highs are kite for two or three days you know you really are uh walking on air and then if it goes badly you drink <laughs> and you're depressed. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a crazy move, um, but it actually it really helped me because it was like turbo training for acting. So then when I started doing at the same time as a stand up, I did uh, about 24 short films, and with the short films, you kind of um, you know people just people see you in a short film, you're half decent, they can see that you're um, cheap. You're not going to cost much. Yeah. And then, they, you know, there's a community of short filmmakers in London. They all watch each other's short films. And then you get a phone call and you get cast in another short film and so on and so forth. So by the time I got to uh, to do some feature film work, I'd, I'd already done this two years of stand-up and like 20-odd, I think it's about 24 short films. So I built up um, some acting muscles, if you know what I mean. I felt confident by the time I got on set. Yeah. Um, and I recommend that as a way to do it for anyone, really. It, 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 it worked for me. Because, of course, I didn't have the time to go to drama school. So, I, at 40, I didn't want to go and train for three, three, four years. I just wanted to get stuck in for better or for worse, you know? So, what were some of the roles you were taking on at the start? Were they, were they just uh, sort of extras that you were then trying to get to kind of network and meet new people on set to kind of get your name out there, or...? Yeah, well, with the short films, I was getting good parts. And then with a few feature films, I... I was a henchman or something, you know, I think I've played every type of henchman there is, you know, I made a one-legged henchman, a one-eyed <laughs> henchman, a henchman with a parrot on his shoulder, you know, it's like, I did the, the, the henchman sort of stuff first of all, because I, I guess I've got a bit of a stocky frame and that, that look, in a way. And then I got a cameo uh, with uh, a film called The Rise, a terrific film with Timothy Spall. Yeah. Um, and then I just kind of built on that, really, just built from there, but the first film... Uh, best laid plans it was almost like the director if the camera came anywhere near me I was a henchman but if the camera came anywhere near me the director ordered it to point somewhere else (laughs) I was there for a month but I didn't get a lot of screen time yeah but I tell you what I did get I got to watch um, Maxine Pete Stephen Graham Adewale um, some other terrific actors uh, work and do what they do and that's all gold Um, it's all, it's all just, yeah, it all yeah. just goes in, goes in the pot. And I remember, you know, just observing them and being in a scene with them. Um, I think you get more from that than, you know, reading a book on acting. Yeah, 
I think you could sit there in a classroom all day reading a textbook or you could be reading certain scripts, but if you're actually watching it live in front of you, for me anyway, that's the best way to learn. Yeah, I, I mean, I was incredibly impressed how three-dimensional they, they were, you know. Yeah. Like, they were sort of sitting in this universe and inhabiting it for all of its reality. It was uh, it was crazy, but, but wonderful. And I think um, I've always felt like acting is, you know, people say, what advice do you would you give someone starting out? It's just work at all costs. You're not going to get paid a lot, but just get get your nose in and get on set doing anything because you can't read, like we just said, you can't read a book about it and then go out and be amazing. It's a sport. It's a doing sport. You have to do it. So then one of your main big first roles was working with Steve Nesbitt, the director on North vs. South, is that right? Yeah, that's right. And that's, yeah, that's it's right. one of your leading roles. That was my first... I, I played... Um, kind of lead and uh, antagonist, if you like, in something before that, but that was my first lead role, yeah. I would say I was, I was co-lead with Elliot Tittensor, who plays the good guy, and I played a bad guy, and we probably kind of shared a film. So, uh, so how was people. that? That was amazing. I mean, I, I, I met Steve at a uh, Teenage Cancer Trust event. Yeah. We were at a tar- charity event, and we were in one of them boxes together, you know, like the little boxes at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah. And um, I think some clever people kind of threw us in the room because they knew I was an actor and he was a director. And um, I did what I normally do with directors is try and get them drunk so they can cast you in something. (laughs) And uh, whilst getting Steve uh, tipsy, um, I was also getting tipsy. And then I started sort of, I guess the only way you can really explain it is showing off. I was uh, trying to show off in front of him. I was doing um, impersonations of, different gangster uh, characters that we've had from some from the amazing films like the uh, the long good friday or get carter um and then some from some pretty awful uh you know the essex boy type films which i, I don't like personally and, yeah you know some of them i won't say exactly which ones but some of the more ropey yeah uh, gangster things and then uh we thought we you know we had a few drinks got a bit smashed and said goodbye and then three three four months later a script turned up on my desk called North versus South uh, with a note from Steve saying read for Gary Little um, and I read it and I was blown away by it and um, uh, he cast me and then I think about a year later at least a year later they actually got the finance and then we were shooting and it was only when we were actually on set um, towards the end of the shoot that Steve said to me that I had uh, he, that I didn't realise that the evening we had at the Royal Albert Hall had inspired him to to write the script. He was he was working on something um, similar in the states, but then after meeting me and um, experiencing my lunacy, um, he then uh, it sort of it uh, triggered him to to revisit that script and write it in the UK. So I was very flattered and honoured, really. So I suppose you were saying about not reading textbooks, that's not the best way, go out there and do any role, but the proper real secret is get a director drunk, because a few months later you get cast in a leading role. Yeah, and also be careful because um, there isn't anything Steve hasn't tried to do to me. He's set me on fire, he's dropped, dropped me from from buildings, he's thrown me through windows, etc, etc, so yeah, be careful what you wish for, but it, is, it probably is the best strategy. <laughs> so most recently one of your big big roles now is Gloves Off and this is a huge jump for you I'm sure it's a big jump for Steve you've got to work with some huge huge names that must have been quite surreal because it is a hell of a jump isn't it for you personally yeah well it's the first film that I've played a lead hero in um, North vs South I was more of an anti-hero or an antagonist I should say um, 
And um, but up until that point, I mean, I've worked with some pretty amazing actors. In you know, North South, we had Stephen Burkoff of Bernard Hill, yeah. Keith Allen. You know, Golden Years was Eunice Starve, Simon Callow, Mark Williams, Alan Armstrong, Sue Johnson. So I've been really, really lucky to work with a lot of t- t- tremendous uh, actors. And then with Clubs Off, it was more um, comedy legends, um, which I was very lucky. You know, you've got Ricky Tomlinson, who's just, you know, a national treasure and has just, just got funny, funny bones, who everyone loves. And then, you know, Paul Barber from... Uh, only Fools and Horses, Denzel, and uh, Full Monty fame, you know, who's uh, also very, very funny and a very, very, uh, just a wonderful person. And then we had Alexi Sale, I grew up watching in The Young Ones. Um, I don't know if you know absolute, Alexi. Absolute legend. Yeah, he is. He's uh, kind of uh, pretty much the, what do you call it, the, the creator, the inventor or the um, champion of the alternative comedy scene. Yeah. You know. Observational comedy really came into play with Alexi at the comedy store in the in the late seventies. You know, so he's a, he's a legend, particularly up up in the north as well. But like the um, the royal family, the young ones, and the only fools. I mean, they're some of my favourite shows growing up. And to to turn up on set, was it a laugh? Was it hilarious? Were you always taking the piss, having lots of jokes? Because you, you're with some of the the comedy gold royalty there. Yeah, it doesn't get better than that, does it? No. Um, and then, of course, you've got Denise Van Alton, who's just, you know, loved as well, and it's incredibly funny. Funnier than I expected her to be, actually. She's really on it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was great. I mean, the, the it's a huge cliche. Everyone says, uh, you know, oh, we was one big happy family, all having fun and everything. And, and it's true. You get close on set. All the, all the films I've done, you get, you, you, you make friends um, and you get close, but the difference with this one was that the vibe was so uh, playful and humorous um, and uh, everyone just got on so well. And I think it was largely due to Ricky and Denise, if I'm honest. Um, Ricky just doesn't stop telling jokes. You know, he's he's got an anecdote for everything and, and he's got funny bones. So it's like, he's like, he's a drug, Ricky. It's a, uh, like, I'm sure you, you need to be weaned off him with methadone or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> making <laughs> you laugh every day um, and obviously I'm chipping in as best as I can and everyone else is but uh, I remember for a few months after we wrapped I was kind of uh, craving him Ricky yeah. I was craving back on set with him because he's so funny uh, but the only downside of course is there's you know it's a comedy drama right so I'm the straight guy in the film for, my, for, for a lot of it and I have to do some emotional scenes some serious scenes yeah um, with Denise and with, you know, um, some of the more, I won't spoil the, the plot, but some of the more emotional scenes. And I'd have to avoid Ricky for a few hours before I had to go to the emotional scenes. Otherwise, I'd turn up giggling and Steve Nesbitt would be like, what are you laughing at? You know, you still get ready to start crying. And um, it was because, you know, I, I just had to keep away from Rick. So You need to have yeah. him locked up in a room, just chained away from everyone. Otherwise, you're not going to get any of these dramatic scenes done well. Yeah, banned from telling jokes. Yeah, um, but for morale, and um, he was our uh, he was our spiritual comedy leader for six weeks. You know, everyone was just in awe of him. He's terrific. So, what was it that you learned most then from being around these people? Was it you know did it did it you said earlier about how you could watch these actors watching these comedy people and obviously then trying to go from the comedy element 
to that mix of drama and do it well, which I think this film did perfectly. What was the oh. biggest? What was the, yeah? What was the biggest kind? What did you learn mostly from being around these people? Um, how funny they are, and I'm not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to give up trying. Yeah, that was a big learning learning curve. Um, yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't necessarily um, learn from them uh, dr- drama-wise, like artistically. Yeah. And, uh, that's why actually. I tell you what, I learned. I learned something from Paul Barber, which was he's kind of um, how can you put it? He, he 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 approaches each take differently. So he's kind of a little bit crazy with his choices. So he'll do something a little bit out there and, you know, uh, quite wacky and quite screwball. And um, and I was a little more used to being a little bit more concise with the takes. You know, I mean, I can impro and I can do all that sort of stuff and go off at a tangent. But I've learned over the years that not a lot of it gets used when you go off piece. Yeah. You know, so you can go off on a on a, on a roller coaster ride of impro, uh, you know, and, and feel like you're doing amazing work, but you're actually not relevant to the story. Um, even though you've enjoyed yourself and self-indulged your own uh, ability, you're not actually contributing to the story. And then again, the edit, they just cut it because it's not relevant, right? Yeah. So I learned not to do that. But Paul Paul would be doing kind of wacky, crazy um, faces and, and um, choices and, and comedy stuff. And I was thinking, how's that going to work? Um, and then when we got in the edit, you know, got in the edit, and I saw the, saw the sort of early cut, I thought, ah, oh, that's how that works. You know, it was really good because um, it was massive splashes of colour. Does that make sense? Rather than being perfectly concise and perfectly on the money with each take, he was um, quite loose, um, but big, big splashes of colour. Yeah. So I learned that from from Paul. So now it's all out and it's done. What's your kind of future looking like? Have you got anything else in the pipeline at the moment or is there something you want to do? Um... I just did. Uh, I just did a, a, a low-budget horror uh, flick called Heckle. Okay. Um, yeah, and that was written um, by a gentleman called Anthony Howes and directed by Martin Pick. Both very, very talented. Um, but they, even though it was low-budget, I don't know how they did it, but they managed to bag uh, Steve Gutenberg. Wow. Like, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> from, I absolutely uh, love that guy. Yeah, he's tremendous. Uh, you know, Police Academy. For the listeners that aren't familiar with Steve. Uh, Cocoon, Three Men and a Baby. I mean, he was the he was the Paul Rudd of the eighties yeah. and the nineties. You know, he was a go to rom rom com guy, big big star. Um, and uh, all of my scenes were with him in this horror film, and, and we had a blast. And you you couldn't meet a nicer guy. So humble and so um, what's the word? You know, someone's just sensitive in a in a lovely way. You know, sensitive to everyone's yeah. Um, everyone's vibe and um, just make you make everyone feel relaxed and um, the opposite of being on eggshells around someone does that yeah. make sense? no I, I, know, I follow him on social media and um, I've always been a fan like growing up like Police Academy and Short Circuit and stuff were some of my favourite films and he's literally one of my icons and he every day posts a message about how to be a better person and love each other in a better way and stuff and I'm just thinking this guy if you know they say don't meet your heroes, I want to meet him because he seems as nice as you want him to be. Well, if you if you meet him, you won't be you won't um, be disappointed. Yeah, he is a seriously wonderful guy. In actual fact, he's the sort of guy who makes you question your own um, personality and, and, and attitude towards everyone else. Yeah, Does that makes sense. You know, he's the, he is literally the ambassador for it's nice to be nice. It really is. And it, this probably sounds a little sycophantic, and I don't mean it to be, because it's not like 
you know, I'll probably never see him again. I'm not, he's not kissing up to him or anything, and he's not, he's not in a, um, in a sickly way. He's just a genuinely lovely person. Yeah, that's yeah. good to hear. So that, yeah, so I did that with him. And where did and you film that? Where was that? Over here, or in America, or? No, that was out near Harpenden. So okay. in Harpenden, yeah, in a big house in a casino, uh, basement casino in Harpenden. So that that was wild. Um, you, you might know one of my all... friends because he was on set for that. Dominic Burns. I know Dominic. Yeah, yeah, he was the second second AD. Yeah, so he's been yeah, uh, yeah. he's been on Mark and Me before, and uh, I saw a picture of him and Steve, and I was like, "You git," you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another nice guy, Dominic. I met Dominic uh, when I first came into the business, and, and as did he. He's a great director, isn't he? And he's I met him brilliant. in Cannes. Yeah. Yeah, we met out in Cannes many moons ago. We interviewed him on the set of uh, Madness and the Method with Jason Mewes and stuff, and he's just he's gonna he's gonna be a big guy, really successful that guy, honestly. Yeah, didn't he, did he um, Madness in the Method, didn't he write that? Yeah. He was one of the writers. Yeah, there. him and Jamie, and they got Stan Lee in it and everything, so it should be exciting. Yeah, that that, uh, that could uh, could be very, very special for them, eh? Yeah, definitely. And, uh, so, apart from that um, horror film, I've, um, I'm writing a, uh, a TV show, or trying to write a TV show, the second thing I've written, um, for my character from a film called Golden Years, uh, which was, uh, uh, the character's called DC Keith Stringer, um, and Golden Years was the first film about pensioners robbing banks um, before the Hatton Garden job and everything. It's about three years ago, and the, the month that we filmed Golden Years, uh, the Hatton Garden job actually took place. <laughs> so it's like, wow. We, we, yeah, I know it's crazy. We were filming pensioners robbing banks, and a bunch of pensioners went and robbed the bank. Jesus. So we, yeah, we thought to ourselves, we must be on the money here, guys. You know, it's just happened. That is insane. Uh, life intimidating art, or whatever it's called. And um, my character in that is another crazy character, but in a different way. And uh, he's kind of a metrosexual uh, copper, somewhere between Simon Cowell and Fonzie. Wow. He's incredible. Yeah, I know. He's narcissistic. He thinks he's Don John. He kind of took the 80s uh, police shows too seriously, a little bit in the vein of Hot Fuzz, um, but, uh, but different, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I'm writing a TV show for him set in Wales, of all places. Wow, uh, yeah. sounds interesting. Yeah, apart from that, I'm tragically available. Yeah. Yeah, anyone listening, casting, I'll come and read for anything, and I'll work for food. That's it, and make sure it's decent food. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. I, I really wish you luck in this horror. It sounds great, actually. I was like, yeah, okay, and then when you mentioned Steve as well, I'm like, this is going to be something quite interesting, and if it's a low budget and it c- turns out looking like a million dollars, then it's going to be great. Yeah, well, it's unlike me to be interesting, but thanks for having me anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I really appreciate your time today. Cheers, that's a pleasure. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Brad, and a really nice guy. I'm very grateful for him giving up his time. I think he's someone we need to watch. I love the fact that we do these smaller interviews, and these people go on and, you know, become quite big in the industry, and we get to see their kind of careers grow, especially people like Tom Payton right now who are really, really doing well. And that's what I love, and I think Brad's a great guy. I urge you all to check out Gloves Off. It's a really well-directed film with some great, great names. And you probably could guess that I'm going to be following up this episode with something else related to Gloves Off, but I'm not going to give it away. You know the score by now. I'm not going to go out there and tell you my next guest. But what I will do, and I haven't done this before is announced it's actually only going to be a week away. So normally with Mark and me, I try and fill the gap of skip to the end. So it's one week skip to the end, one week Mark and me. 
This time I'm not doing that. I'm going to be releasing episodes for the next three weeks each week. So I'm spoiling you, but you deserve it. And it is Christmas anyway, so you deserve, you know, a bit of extra treats. I hope you've all enjoyed today's interview. What I do ask is that you get on Twitter, you get on Facebook, or you get on Instagram, or you drop me an email. All I ask you to do is go on markandme.com, and on there is the link to all of those social media channels I just mentioned. I read every single email, every tweet, every Facebook account. I don't have people working for me, it's just me. And I appreciate so much that the fact that you all listen, but then when you actually take the time to say what you liked about the episode, or that you've gone and checked out their work... That's the ultimate compliment for me, and that's the reason I do it. So, normally at this point, I would say to you, hey, I'm not going to tell you my guest, and I'm not going to tell you when it is, but you know it's only a week away, and it is someone related to this film. Also, everything helps, and your support on Patreon means I get to go out and do these interviews. It's growing, uh, I still need support, it means I can travel and get more and more equipment, so if you are loving these episodes and you want to throw me a couple of quid a month, just go onto the Patreon site and on there there's going to be rewards as well. I don't just take the money and do nothing, I spend it on more equipment and travelling around the UK, I want to try and go worldwide next year and do some more face-to-face interviews because it's what I enjoy the most. So if you do love it and you want to say thanks and give a little back, just go on markandme.com and the link's on there. And as I said, I'll be back in a week's time. And yeah, take care and I'll speak to you all then.